812th Avenue. Um, good to see you again this morning, though it's online. Um, you know, last week we talked about, we acknowledged the fact that we're living in times with a lot of uncertainty and fear um, that to differing degrees to us um, has been unnerving, you know, to some more, more than others. And what we ended up doing last week is we talked about the need to take this virus and to put it in perspective. And to do that, if you remember, we referenced the boot flake, which is uh, one of the most famous pieces of rock that rock climbers climb and know. Um, a pretty large piece of rock, though it's a flake, called a flake. It's about the size of a tennis court. Um, but to really get perspective even on that, that we had to lay it in stark relief against something else. And so we looked at um, the thing that it actually is a part of, which is Al Capitan. And how when you see that whole gigantic granite monolith called El Capitan, that that boot flake is, is really very small in comparison to that. And so what we did is we went to Isaiah chapter 40 and we laid this virus in contrast to God, who's the creator of the universe, the one who uh, spoke the stars into existence, who knows all of them by name and who cares about each one of us. And so that's what last week was, was that reminder. And... Um, what I did is I challenged us to have, during this time of the virus, to have an, Al, an El Capitan scripture to help us keep that God perspective. And that scripture was actually in Psalm 11, verses 3 to 4, which says, When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His heavenly throne. Or as Eugene put it, Peterson put it in the message, the bottom's dropped out of the country. Good people don't have a chance. But God hasn't moved to the mountains. His holy address hasn't changed. He's in charge, always has. His eyes take everything in. And so for the next two weeks leading up to Easter, I want to continue to keep that as our focus. Um, I want to, to look at God as our El Capitan, and I want to delve more into who he is and to his character and so we can just have a clear picture of who he is to lay him again against this virus in contrast. Um, that's something I want to do the next two few, few weeks. And what I want to ask is, what is God really like? Not, what do you think he's like, or what do I think he's like? What did you grow up being told in church he was like, but what does the Bible say that he is like? And through it all, these next two weeks, we will find that God is truly all-sufficient, and he is all-satisfying that he truly is all that we need. Um, before we get to that, though, I want to take a moment to speak to anybody who's online with us who is new to all this, new to the Bible, or who is maybe exploring Jesus and exploring the Bible. Um, I want to speak to you because I was in your shoes at one time in my life um, where I didn't believe, and in a situation like this, I would have loved for somebody to have spoken into my life. And so I'd like to do that. Because um, we find ourselves, I think, living in a very strange cultural moment right now where this something that's invisible, something that was not even on our radar or barely on our radar a month, two months ago, has suddenly brought everything in our culture to a screeching halt, has shut everything down. And I think in doing that has really shown us how fragile our lives and our circumstances really are. A lot of the things that we trusted in have been yanked out from under us. And I think that we are really beginning to see 
how the foundations that our culture has built its life upon, a lot of what we built our lives upon, is actually very faulty and temporary. And I am convinced, personally, that God is using this, not that he's causing it, but that he is using it to speak to us, I think, and to our culture in three ways. Um, first of all, I think he's trying to use this to direct our attention to him. Um, C.S. Lewis is famous for, have said, for have having said this, that God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Or as somebody has said, sometimes God has to put us flat on our backs to get us finally looking up in the right direction. I think he's not only using this to get our attention directed to him, but I think he's also using it as a wake-up call, a reminder of the reality of the fleeting nature um, of much of what we have built our lives upon. And finally, I think it's also a stark reminder from him to us about the reality of death and a reminder of death and of life after death. Um, these are questions that I had to deal with, I had to ask, and I had to, find, had to try to find the answers to back when I was a teenager and my 18-year-old cousin died, and it brought death as a stark reality into my face for the first time in my life. And so I began on a, a spiritual journey to try to find the answer to those questions and began a search that later I think I found out was really God's search for me, though I thought I was searching for him, that he was using those things to draw me to himself. A few centuries back, a very famous Christian named Jonathan Edwards said that um, unconverted men walk over eternity on a rotten covering, and their innumerable places in this covering so weak they will not bear their weight, and yet these places are not seen. By them. I think that's a pretty powerful quote, and I think it's a dramatic way of saying that none of us knows when we will meet death face to face. Um, and it's a reminder that a lot that we thought bore the weight of our lives really cannot bear the weight of our lives, something I think this virus has shown us. And so to me, God is reminding us the reality that we will all face death one day, and we need to be ready for that. And what I learned when I was a teenager and when my cousin died, as I, as I thought about that, I thought there are no higher stakes than those life and death questions and what comes after death. And so it's something I encourage you to explore. If you don't have that figured out personally, I want to point you to the only sure foundation, which is Jesus. Um, he's the only one who has conquered death, and he has promised eternal life to us eternal, eternal life in his presence. And he has demonstrated that finally and historically in the resurrection. In John's recording of Jesus' life, um, he wrote this, God did, not send the world, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And this is how he demonstrated his love, in that he showed us the love for the world in this way, in that he sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him with their whole life, that they would not perish but would have eternal life. So if you're interested in learning more about Jesus, the person who transformed my life and answered all of my questions, you can do several things. 
If you're watching with us this morning at 10 a.m., um, down below you can click the request prayer button and actually enter into a conversation with a host who can maybe answer some of your initial questions or begin that conversation. Or up above, there's a tab that says Learn More. If you click, click there, it will take you to a, play, a page on the church website where you can let us know that you would like to, to talk to somebody. Um, and also on that page, there are also um, two links to a couple of resources you could find valuable in learning more about Jesus and the story of the Bible. If you're watching this after Sunday morning and you're seeing um, this, after, this later, then I encourage you, if you've got questions and you want to talk or chat to somebody, just go to our website, 12thave.org slash learn more. And the learn more is just one word. And there you can um, access those resources. And also, if you want somebody to contact you to talk, that we'd be glad to do that. I would be glad to do that because I was there at one point in my life and wish I had somebody to talk to me. Um, earlier in my journey. So before we get to our text, I would like to take us to take a minute and I would like you to watch this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. 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 He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me to still waters. He renews my strength. He renews my strength. He renews my strength. He guides me in the right paths, for he is true to his name. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. For you are close beside me. Your shepherd's rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. My cup runs over. My cup runs over. Surely your goodness and love will pursue me all the days of my life. All the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 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 Wasn't that great? Thanks to everybody who helped uh, do that with me, and I took, no, took that risk of uh, getting on video because that's not easy to do. So I appreciate you guys doing that. Um, and really, frankly, even after I saw that when it was put together the night, I thought, who needs a sermon after that, right? But we always say that, and then we go ahead and do it anyway. So, uh, sorry. I want to spend a few minutes looking at this text in Psalm 23. Um, David, who knew God better than most, and who was a shepherd himself, um, I think revealed a lot about God in um, using this metaphor of God being a shepherd and us being sheep. And this is really a common metaphor in the Bible. In Psalm 103, it says, We are the sheep of his pasture. And here in Kansas, we know a lot about cattle. We know a lot about ranchers. We know what they do and what they're for. But we don't really know a whole lot about sheep. Um, in Israel at that time, and even today, sheep were the primary form of livestock. And 
that are used primarily for their wool. Um, on our travels to Israel a few years ago, still around Jerusalem, the hills that are surrounding that city, they are covered with sheep and you still see shepherds out there. It was really very interesting. Um, just a few things about sheep, if you don't mind, before we get into it. Because um, again, they're not something we know a whole lot about. But sheep generally are very helpless creatures. They require um, a great deal of time and nurture. Um, they are very vulnerable to prey. They um, are easily injured. Um, extremely frightful creatures and restless. And I'm told that sheep are very foolish and very stubborn. Unlike cattle that like to congregate and group and do things in herds, sheep frequently will wander off all by themselves uh, and get themselves in trouble and get lost. And so does that sound familiar? Why maybe God has chosen them as one of his primary metaphors in referring to us as humans. So using this text this morning, I want to show us seven things um, seven crucial things which this teaches us about God as our shepherd and what he provides us. And if you have the handout from the resource page, online page, if you've got that printed out, you can take notes. If you don't have it, you can, you know, run and print it later or take some notes that you transfer over to that. But as our good shepherd, God offers us seven things. He offers us provision, piloting, presence, protection, plenty, pursuit, and a personal relationship. Um, the first one is provision. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3, where we are told that the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me to quiet waters. He renews my strength. And one thing I just want to point out, that God promises to provide us with everything, everything that we need. Not necessarily what we want, but he promises to provide us with what we need. And I think we all know the difference between those two, but especially if you're a parent, you know the difference between those. If you've ever had a child recommend some night after supper and having had a bowl of ice cream that we just, for every meal, have ice cream, breakfast, lunch, and supper for the rest of our lives, you know the difference between want and need and that not everything we want is really for our well-being and flourishing. And so God provide, promised to provide for our physical needs, but also in verse 3, our inner spiritual needs. Many times we have everything that we need physically, but we might be struggling emotionally or spiritually. And God pr promises to also provide for that. Because he says that he will renew our strength. Or as the King James Version used to say, or still says, that he restores our soul. Both good translations of that and kind of and have really a similar idea. Um, but he longs to provide for us the inner strength, the inner restoration that we need in our soul in times of need. And we just read about that last week in Isaiah 40, 29 to 31, where he said, it said that he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So God not only promises us provision, but he also promises us piloting or guiding. Look at the second half of verse 3. 
It reads, He guides me in the right path, for, his, he is, for He is true to His name. God longs to provide guidance in our lives, and we need it. I, we all know that, right? We need it. Um, David's son Solomon wrote in Proverbs 3, 5-6, He said, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways, if you will acknowledge Him, He will direct your paths. And God longs to provide us with the guidance we need. And we can be certain that He will do this, and He'll do it at the right time, and He will do it well, because He tells us that um, in everything He does, but even in guidance, that He is always true to His name. He will do it well, because God has absolute integrity, and everything He does um, is in full, full character of who He is, because He's always true to His name. But, you know, the fact that he provides and pilots, that doesn't mean that everything in life is going to be great. Um, sometimes we will encounter darkness. And that's why I think the next promise is so important. So I want you to look down at um, verse 4, because here he also promises his presence. And here's what he says in verse 4. But, that's my word, but, but even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your shepherd's rod and staff comfort me. I just I think those words speak powerfully for themselves, don't you? Even in the darkest valley, or as the King James Version put it, in the, the valley of death, I do not need to be afraid because God is not just with me, but it says he is close beside me. Psalm 31.20 says that God shelters us in his presence. Psalm 46.1 says that God is our refuge and strength, and He is an ever-present help in trouble. And I'm not going to go into detail on this, but the shepherd's rod and the shepherd's staff, they were symbols of the ongoing love and presence and care of the shepherd to the sheep, and just having those things with him provided comfort to the sheep. On this about his presence, Tim Wright and I used to talk a lot about the, the fact that um, we always encouraged each other to be seeking for ways, to be having our eyes open for ways God would want to show us His presence in dark times. And it became an experiment. And we frequently would find, he or I would text each other, that in moments where He would personally show us something in a way that really spoke to us very much of the fact that in the midst of our difficulty that He was present there. Um, in fact, I just had this happen yesterday. Um, one after the other, within an hour, I had a string of events that occurred to me that were pretty unpleasant. As I sat down to talk to God about it, a text message popped up on my phone from one of you telling me that your family was praying for me. See, he is close beside me, and he's close beside you. And if you'll look for it, he will show you those signs of his loving presence in your life. Fourth, God offers us his protection. The first half of verse 5 says, You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, we just talked about his presence, and now we're reminded of the reality of the presence of our enemies. And it could be people, it could be situations, it could be events. Right now, it feels like this virus is an enemy. But in the midst of all of that, no matter who your enemy is, I want you to remember that that enemy is just the boot flake. And the reality is God, the Good Shepherd, who is our El Capitan. 
He is the one who, even in the presence of our enemies, promises us his greater presence and his care for us. So I love that whole image. Fifth, God offers us plenty or blessing. Look at the second half of verse 5. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Among other things, to anoint somebody's head with oil meant to show honor to that person. And what this is saying is is that he honors us. God, our shepherd, honors us with plenty. He honors us with generous blessing. We just saw in verse 5 above that word feast. That's not a small meal. That's a big extravagant meal. And that's a, a word of abundance, not of scarcity. John 1.16 says this of Jesus, From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. The message translates that verse this way, We live off his generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. At Thanksgiving every year we put out on our table um, a horn of plenty, um, just to remind us of the innumerable blessings that God has bestowed upon us. Uh, and again, it's not everything we want, but he blesses us with everything that we need. Um, and this is important because I think it is so easy, especially in this time with this virus, to focus so much on the negative that we overlook the blessings that God is still bringing in our lives. So let's remind ourselves, let's make it a discipline during this time to remind ourselves every day of the blessings that God has given to us um, and give thanks to him. Just last week in our life group, someone said, hey, we should create a place on our website that can, people can post blessings and to remind us of the good things God is doing. And she said, you know, when we hit 5,000, what we could do is once we get to that point, then Garen can make a video cutting Jordan's hair. Wouldn't that be great? And we all thought that was a great idea. So if you, wanna, you want us to do that, you just send me an email and, uh, and we'll make that happen. Okay. Back to the text, because it only gets better. We're going to end with my favorite two. Six, God offers us pursuit. I absolutely love this verse. It's the first half of verse six. And it says this, Surely, surely your goodness and love will pursue me all the days of my life. In the Hebrew, that word translated love is the Hebrew word chesed. My favorite Hebrew word. And it's such a rich word, and we can translate it as unfailing, faithful love. And if you grew up hearing this verse quote in the King James, you probably heard it this way, that God's love and goodness will follow me all the days of my life. But that Hebrew word is radaf, and it refers to a strong intention of pursuit. It means to chase after something or someone with the intent to overtake it. And I just love that language. God loves to pursue me with his love and his goodness all the days of my life. He was pursuing me last year, last month before the virus. He was pursuing me this week, yesterday. He's pursuing me today with his love and goodness. He'll pursue me tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. This virus won't go on forever, but God's loving pursuit will go on forever, all the days of my life. Surely, surely, your goodness and your unfailing faithful love will pursue me will chase me with the intent to overtake me all the days of my life. So God the Good Shepherd offers us provision, piloting, His presence, protection, 
plenty. He promises pursuit. And finally, the most important thing, he, he promises us a permanent relationship, eternal life. We talk about this all the time at 12, that God's not interested in your religion. What he wants is a relationship, a real and intimate relationship with us. And the last half of verse 6 says this, I will live in the house of the Lord forever. I will live in the house of the Lord forever. So God offers us not only a relationship now, but an enduring relationship for all of eternity. And let me say something important. I always used to tell our students that we worked with for a long time, that when people think of heaven, they primarily think of it as a place. And while it is a place in the Bible, the way heaven is primarily referred to is not as place, but as presence, as the full-blown, good, wonderful presence of God. Let me illustrate it this way. Suppose you were to contact me this week, give me a call and say, hey, Garen, we'd love to come over to your house on Friday. May we come? And I'd say, sure, come on over. But then if they said, you know, but frankly, the truth is, we frankly would rather you not be there. We don't enjoy your presence very much, but we hear you have a cool Blu-ray player with a flat screen TV. You've got a nice fireplace and your fridge is stocked with good food and Mountain Dew and you've got nacho cheese Doritos in the cupboard and we'd just love to come over and be in your house, but we'd rather you not be there. What do you think I would say to that? I think I'd say, oh, probably not. Because a home isn't so much about the place, but it's about the people. And it's about the presence of the ones that you love. Um, and the promise here is that I will dwell, I will live permanently in an ongoing relationship with God for all of eternity, enjoying His presence. And His presence, as David says in Psalm 1611, he says this, You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And then Paul, of this eternal relationship that he offers in writing to the Roman believers, um, in the last part of his eighth chapter of that letter, he says this, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, including COVID-19, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So God promises us in this, in this Psalm 23, as, his, as our shepherd, as our good shepherd, he promises us provision, piloting, his presence, his protection, plenty, pursuit, and permanent relationship. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me to quiet waters. He renews my strength. He guides me in the right paths, for He is true to His name. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your shepherd's rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. So people of 12, let us live into the reality of Psalm 23. May its words shape our emotions and our behavior this week. May we be that non-anxious presence that our culture so desperately needs right now. People who are lost without a shepherd and who need a shepherd. So may we show the reality of him through our lives.
And again, if you don't know Jesus personally, I want to invite you to place your trust in Him. Just before I videoed this, the verse of the day popped up on my phone. And it was John 10.10. 10. And in it, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd who sacrifices his life for the sheep. Jesus has given his everything for us. And I encourage you to put your trust upon him. I'd like to end today with a prayer that our family used to use whenever we traveled. In our old Chrysler minivan, it was stuck up and kind of above, uh, above the, the rearview mirror. And we would pray it any time we'd go on a trip. And I would like you to pray it with me. I know, oh God, that wherever I travel, you will be with me. There is nowhere I can go, no situation I can face, which is outside of your love and strength. And so I commit myself into your care and keeping on this journey, knowing that at all times I am in your hands. And God's people all said, Amen.